Welcome to the Leadership Window podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 87 of The Leadership Window. Thanks for joining. I don't know what life is like in your part of the world, but here in Columbia, South Carolina, it's starting to get warm. It was 82 degrees yesterday. It's like awesome because I'm an outdoor person. I don't do winter. Not very well anyway. Uh, Along with that comes some humidity and some mugginess, but uh, I don't complain about that. I don't complain about heat or mugginess because I don't like the cold. Like it gets um, in in the place where my guest lives, <laughs> uh, but the, you know some people love it. They love living up there, um, folks. My guest today is Lee Adams, and um, known her now for I don't know five or six years. I guess she is uh, someone who, like me, has spent a good bit of time in the nonprofit sector in the field of marketing and public relations for a while and now uh, is at the helm of the Osherman Family Foundation based in Frederick, Maryland. Frederick County is up sort of near the DC area if you're kind of wanting to get a really general area of it. It is a really unique community. It's a beautiful community. And the Osherman Family Foundation, uh, we're gonna find out a lot about what they do. I came to know them through a connection who served on one of their committees um, at, at a time when they were looking for a potential speaker to come and do what they have an annual nonprofit summit where they provide all kinds of uh, leadership and strategy and board engagement and governance and all things nonprofit, a huge, amazing resource for the nonprofit community. And I was honored to get to go up there and do that with board leaders and their CEOs of a number of different organizations. And fortunately for me, hopefully fortunately for all of them too, it led to a lot of work engagements um, that we're now doing and have done over the last several years with organizations in Frederick. And this is everything from domestic violence and abuse organizations to housing organizations, uh, United Way, mentoring programs, all kinds of different things. It's just been incredible. And almost all of that, if not all of that, was funded at least in part by the Osherman Family Foundation. So one of the things that they do is provide the capacity support that nonprofits need to do these kinds of things. And if you're listening and you've been in the sector for a while, you know one of the frustrations for decades has been that foundations don't like to fund anything other than, you know, we'll fund the direct service, but we don't want to fund any, you know, quote overhead, or we don't want to fund, you know, the staffing that it takes or, or whatever. Osherman doesn't quite work like that. They, they want to lift the sector and whatever that takes, if there's a creative approach and an innovative idea and something that has promise um, to impact the community, I would say the Osherman Foundation is probably interested in hearing about it and seeing if there's an alignment. So at the Osherman Foundation, uh, Lee focuses on, again, of course, funding, but connecting organizations, streamlining the grants process. Um, If you're a nonprofit leader out there, you love hearing that. 
uh, and just working with other nonprofit entities to develop um, more robust development and funding that meets both the foundation's vision, which I think is really important, and the community's vision for the future of, of Frederick County. And while she now serves as the um, the president, CEO, executive director, I'm not sure um, exactly what your title is, Lee, you can tell us that in a second, but she continues to work in other arenas of the sector. She's on different committees for the Frederick Speaker Series, the, the YMCA's Marketing Advisory Group, the Nonprofit Alliance. She serves on her college's board of associates where she got her MBA at Hood College. So um, she's a member of the women's giving circle there. I could go on and on and on. She is a person who is really dug deep into creating social impact and linking her vocation with her passion. And I've been wanting this for a while now. Um, and we just were having a conversation recently and I said, you just got to come on the show and share some of what you're doing because I think it's unique for foundations. So with that said, Lee, I'm going to, first of all, just thank you for carving out time. Thank you for all the work you've done in Frederick County. And thank you for engaging me. Uh, my engagement and my work has been made so much richer and more robust just due to, you know, your foundation and the support that you're given. So welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's a, that's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I want you to tell us a little bit more about the Osherman Foundation that I didn't really cover that you might feel is important. But before you do that, tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of how you got to this place. How did you move from marketing and PR to head up a family foundation creating social impact in Frederick <laughs> County? Tell us about yourself and your journey. Sure. So um, I... I'm a mom of three. I have three little ones, uh, six, four, and one. Oh, wow. um, I have been, I started my career in marketing um, and I worked for an entrepreneur who had a lot of businesses. And one of his, one of my jobs was to go around to the different businesses and help engage in the community. And that really, I found myself working a lot with nonprofits. So I would help set up their fundraiser events and their fundraisers. And, and I really <clears throat> felt called to that work. And then uh, in my community, it was actually local Goodwill. They had an opportunity for a marketing and development officer where I don't think I was totally qualified for the job. The CEO kind of took a little bit of a risk um, and, and extended the invitation to me to join. Uh, and it was from there, I just kind of started drinking the nonprofit Kool-Aid and I was hooked. And so I was at that Goodwill for I'm gonna say six or seven years and they were going through some leadership changes. And one of the things that I you know, had the pleasure of doing was participating in a, in a leadership uh, program that the Goodwill National offered. Mm. And at that you had to, um, it was like a year long cohort and you had to really dig deep into your personal and professional goals. And I remember a couple of years later after taking it, I had found, you know, they always say, write it down. So I found the goals and it was like, go get my MBA, start a family and work with nonprofits in a deeper capacity. And I was like, I have not done any of these yet. Um, and at that time, I had been asked by the foundation's uh, uh, president, like what I consider working for him. And I was ha I was happy where I was at, but then I knew that there was going to be some leadership changes at the Goodwill. The, the CEO was retiring and I thought, you know what, like, I'm just going to take the leap of faith after I found that list. And if I apply to my local college, I get into my MBA program, let's, I'll take 
I'll come work for the foundation. And then, and then after I graduate, I'll, I'll have some children. <laughs> and then I did all that, started school the same week, um, started the foundation. And then I found out I was pregnant. So I did everything <laughs> in like a very quick time. Um, and then just for years, chipped away at my MBA and really immersed myself in the world of, um, of foundations and Frederick's nonprofit scene. Wow. You know, you talked about maybe not being fully qualified when you um, got that job. That's been, that was the beauty for me of the nonprofit sector Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, there's so much in, in the sector because nonprofits are often so small, you kind of got to do a little bit of everything. And I've, I've said this many times, but when I started my nonprofit career, it was at a local United way in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, and you learn marketing and you learn budgeting and you learn, um, community relationships and politics and funding and outcomes. And I mean, media, and you just, you just learn cause you have to, you just dig in and, and you learn it. And there was so many things that I found you just can't learn in school. I mean, I, you know, you and I both, you know, went through MBA schools, learned, learned a lot. It was great. Glad I did it, but I, I, it doesn't touch what you learn when you just dig into it and you feel and experience it. So, um, and I've done some work with that goodwill, in fact, that Mm -hmm. you worked with and they are, um, they're a big one and, um, really, really cool stuff. So, so now you're at the foundation and tell me, tell me, um, a little bit more about the foundation and it's sort of, the Osherman Family Foundation. When you hear Family Foundation, obviously think, "Oh, okay, the Osherman family started this." <laughs> so, give us a little bit more about the background and what a Family Foundation does, and what your Family Foundation does. Sure. So, um, Osher Family Foundation was uh, funded. The seed money really came from the sale of um, a residential home building business. Uh, the entrepreneur and president of our foundation was a residential home builder for years. Uh, and then uh, right at the turn of the market before it crashed, I want to say around 2006 is when they sold the company and a lot of those assets are put into the foundation. Um, we are a place-based foundation, which means we only fund in Frederick County. And that was intentional because um, the founder, Marvin Osherman, was like, you know, my, I kind of built the wealth from building community. And this is building community in like a different capacity. And mm-hmm. so th- those values still really remain true to everything that we do. Um, my office is actually in Osherman Development's uh, office. So even though he's not building homes anymore, he still is a residential developer um, and commercial developer. So we can talk a little bit about it later, but we we dive in and do a lot of partnerships, um, tapping into the skill sets of the for-profit company when it comes to buildings um, and really using the talents of both the for-profit and the nonprofit side. Um, <clears throat> but so place-based, focus on Frederick County. We have a couple areas of interest in which we really focus. It's children, youth, and families, health and human services, um, public society benefit, and arts and culture. And so public society benefits like beautifications of parks, public spaces, um, they, they just uplifting the just the vibrancy of our community and then kind of what that, you know, from nonprofits, from arts, from all of that stuff. So, so pretty we, broad, but let me, if I can interject right here, I'm curious. I think a lot of our listeners would be curious. <clears throat> And I, th- I know this will differ from, from foundation to foundation, but how, how involved are the Oshermans? <laughs> how involved is the family in setting those priorities and then down into the, the more, 
not quite granular, but the, the frequent decisions about funding and projects and things, is it, is it really strictly the, 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 the family makes decisions that you're charged with executing, or is it more extended than that, that board members are not necessarily family members and it's kind of broader and they've maybe a little, a little less hands-on at times. What's that relationship like? Sure. Well, the family is definitely involved, but we intentionally have grown the board um, in number and diversity to include the different perspective. Uh, we have a lot of non-family members that are on the board, and that's by design. Um, we try to be very intentional about where we're giving our money, where the needs are. Um, so, you know, we look at needs assessments and that kind of thing to kind of hone in on you know, within the areas that we've defined. But every few years, we go through like a very intensive strategic planning session, I would say every five years. And that kind of, um, you know, sets the stage for that. So the family is, is definitely involved. Um, but so, but it's equally, uh, community members are too. So one of the things that has struck me, I alluded to this a little bit in the introduction. One of the things that has struck me about your foundation is, uh, you you do really much more than have an annual grant evaluation process where you decide, well, you know, we got X amount of money, let's divvy it up here and here's the grants we'll fund. Um, you're much more than that, much more strategic, much more involved and engaged in the work, at least a lot of it. How would you describe the sort of compartments of work? Now you mentioned the, the categories, right? With youth and health and human services and the arts. But now if you could compartmentalize the kind of work that you do, sure. you know, so funding is a piece of it, but what are some of the other things that the, the foundation is doing? Cause I think this is where the uniqueness really starts to come in. Sure. So we have a, a the grants bucket and that is, you know, we have a single year grants committee reviews grants every month. We have a multi-year grants committee which is more of the like the large grants for us. So like maybe over half a million dollars that are over five years and they really are, are doing a strong, something, changing something big in their organization or a new program. Um, then we have a specific grant that is, we call the um, IDEA grant, diversity equity aligned grant that is um, this year really tapped into supporting um, black led nonprofits. So th that's the grants bucket. Uh, we also do a lot of capacity building grants which are in that single year grants. Um, we also do what we call community benefit projects, and this is where we tap into the talents of the Osherman development. And so sometimes um, that looks like uh, buildings. We renovated a theater. We've helped accelerate city projects where we can bring our resources to bear, like through design, schematic designs and, and working with engineers to draw site plans for fountains in the park, um, We've done community uh, public arts master plans in collaboration with the arts council and then started to implement some of the art that came out uh, recommendations that came out of that plan um you know yeah beautification projects that kind of uh that kind of thing and then the third bucket i would we would call it network formation but it's really around like advocacy and and like learning and bringing groups together so we do that around like a variety of things so you mentioned the nonprofit summit i kind mm -hmm. of put that in that bucket of education and bringing nonprofit leaders together to learn. Uh, we do nonprofit executive director breakfasts for executive directors and paid staff, bringing them together a couple of times a year, always around a topic. It's lonely up top. So the idea is that they would have a place to be able to talk and brainstorm in a safe space. Um, and then bringing community together around 
you know, issues. So you know, we know that transportation has been a barrier in our community for years. It's been named on community needs assessment. So how do we like start that conversation, um, bringing the funders groups together to really look at, like, like you mentioned, streamlining the grant application or how do we work better with each other? How do we collaborate? We're always asking nonprofits to collaborate. How do we do that? So I would say those are the three main buckets, grants, community benefit projects, and like learning and advocacy. And in our conversation the other day, you shared some more specifics with me and you're welcome to do that at any point during our conversation here today. Cause again, it really, there's a long list of things you're doing and that, that prompts a question for me. How do you focus with, with, so, first of all, let me ask you this, if you're willing to share, um, what's the size and scale of the foundation itself is, uh, um, you know, what, what, are, what are the assets about how much in grants, for example, each year uh, from yeah, that? So last year we gave out about $3 million. That was one of our larger yeah. years. Um, so we would say we do about 1.5 to 3 million a year okay. where we are a spend down foundation, um, which means that we want to spend the assets down in the lifetime of our founder. Um, and uh -huh. then, so that's, you know, one of the things that makes us unique in that. Yeah, that is, that is. Um, so, go, so, okay. So with that amount of resource that you have mm -hmm. and particularly in a, in a, in some defined window of time, how do you create focus yeah. versus, you know, boy, there's so many different things we want to get involved in and you are involved in. Mm -hmm. So how do you put those through a lens of priority and make sure that while you're going pretty wide, you're also yeah. going pretty deep with the impact that you make? How do you go about that? One of the things that trustees are very generous with is our staffing. Uh, we have, you know, for the size foundation that we have, it's uncommon to have four full-time staff, but we, we do that. And we look at the staffing as an extension of our grant making in a way, because, you know, our staff can will, will do, will serve on committees and will do work. It will be the backbone. A lot of times we have these networks that, um, you know, if you're bringing groups together and they're meeting every month, you have to have that like behind the scenes, like oomph to get, to get them going. And that's like agendas, putting the minutes together, making people accountable and that's staff time. And so we look at that as like for the public benefit. Um, so I would say that we have um, staff to kind of keep things moving. We have a grants manager. We have someone doing community impacts and, and projects and somebody helping kind of like administratively across um, a lot of event planning that we do. Again, we do strategic planning and uh, our board is made up in committees. And so we do a lot of committee work where the committee is constantly um, every agenda we have has the strategic plan goals of that committee and started with, are we like kind of, you know, every month, are we checking away? <laughs> so we're trying really hard not to let it sit on a shelf, but also the committee um, just kind of is always listening. You know, we bring uh, ideas new ideas all the time and do they work and do they not? Um, and sometimes, especially in the realm of the community benefit project where there are these long projects that deal a lot with government we have to have a lot in the pipeline because there'll be starts and stops. We'll get one certain point and then it needs to stop for a while for whatever in the landscape is happening. And we kind of pick up the other one. So really I'm not answering your question well, cause we have a lot of balls in the air at all the times, but it's working somehow. <laughs> you, do, you do have a lot. Um, let me, what's, what's the, does Frederick County, I should know this, but 
Is there any kind of community report card or community indicators project that is um, uh, constantly refreshed and updated on some of the key factors of what makes a good, healthy Frederick County? So funny that you say that. Um, we are in the process now through our local college to create a data-driven Frederick project. Mm -hmm. um, that is going to be a place where all of the community's data will go and we'll kind of be able to set some of that stuff. Um, that's one thing that we have been really focused on recently through the Frederick Funders Group and, and other nonprofits is how, how do you know you're moving the needle? And it's becoming such a big part of the conversation. So we were um, happy to hear that was happening. And But we do a lot of community needs assessments. Um, so our community foundation's been running those. We, our local health improvement board has been doing those. And so we just tap in to that kind of stuff all the time. Um, um, not to put you on the spot, but can you think off the top of your head of any areas um, that through needs assessments or whatever data is available where the foundation is is frequently looking and saying, we need to improve this in our community and because of data. The data tells us that X is really important to us and we want to get involved, whether it's through any of the three buckets that you talked about, we want to move that needle. Do those yet so, exist or, or do? Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, one just like coming to mind is, you know, we, we have more in Frederick County um, aging seniors in our community than we do kids in our public school system, uh, which is staggering. And mm -hmm. so we keep calling the silver tsunami is named in our needs assessment. And there was a couple of nonprofits that were really started from an individual who had a personal connection, like a father that they were dealing, you know, were taking care of to end of life and started a nonprofit out of complete passion. But they were doing like so much work, all volunteer, not getting paid. Like that. we saw that a couple of times. And so the foundation kind of started to lean into like, you know, with some other funders how do we uplift some of these nonprofits that are complementing the work that our Frederick, uh, the, the you know, the county is doing for aging seniors um, in, in, in anticipation for um, how great of a need that's going to be in a couple of years. So that's one example that's just coming to mind. Yeah. 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 I'm, I, I'm sure you, you had those, and I, I didn't mean to imply that you might not have them, but we, it, in lieu of a community, a formal community indicators project, which is now being built, it sounds like, you mm -hmm. know, how do you, how do you sort of do that? What are you measuring to mm -hmm. sort of indicate the success of the, of the, of the foundation? I would like to shift a little bit. I, I think one of the things I wanted to hear from you is your, I don't know, some of your experiences and perspective on the nonprofits themselves and any advice you have for them in the area of positioning themselves for philanthropic support from organizations like yours. You know, it's more than just, Hey, we have a great program and we know this foundation over here has some money. We'll write a grant. Mm -hmm. There's, there's some positioning that needs to happen. And I don't mean political positioning. I mean, getting your organization ready right. to receive such philanthropic support. What are some of those things from your experience? So from like a brand new organization that's never applied to us before, if they're coming in, you know, we're place-based, so just Frederick County, if they're coming into this space and they are asking for um, a program that is, that the, the, somebody else is doing it. Um, and that's fine because, you know, there is different fits for different, you know, people, but 
it's important to our trustees that they are aware of who else is in that space and maybe filling the gaps and, and however, maybe not duplicating, but just really complementing one another's efforts. So really knowing who else is in the space, really kind of having your, um, your ask together. So we get new asks and they'll ask for 100% of their operating budget from us. Um, and that they'll just be starting out and our executive director will need a hundred thousand dollars salary. Like those automatically get a no um, right away. Uh, and I, I think that being more intentional with, you know, your plan of, of your operating budget and what you're asking for and kind of what you hope to be able to achieve, who you're partnering with. Um, it, do you have a functioning board. Um, so a lot of times if we're asked, grantees are asking for strategic planning from us, for example, and they only have three board members, that strategic plan is such an important thing for your board to be involved in. So we won't even consider that type of request until they're like within their bylaws at least, or, you know, maybe six or to eight um, to really have the best outcome from that. Um, <clears throat> I would say we, I love it when they call us and, you know, talk, to myself or the grants manager and kind of build a relationship because I look at myself and my co my colleague does the same like we're the liaisons to the trustees like I'm on your team help me figure out what you want and we might need to change and, and kind of massage to get it to a place where I think we can get it to a yes and it might not work but we might be able to the more we get to learn from one another I might know of another foundation that I could do a soft introduction to or maybe it does isn't a good fit for us or somebody else that I know, but, but there's a nonprofit partner who you should really get to know. So I think like developing that relationship, um, is important too. I could not agree more. And I know of a few other foundations that, that are really good at that as well. And, and I was going to interject it if you, if you hadn't, because you know, the first thing you said was in such and such a condition, the answer is no. But the answer is not really no from you. Mm -hmm. The answer is mm, not now, not like this, <laughs> you know, and here's, here's what it would take. And I know this because I experienced it with a, an organization there in Frederick County, um, reached out to me, got some proposals from different people to do strategic planning and had a, had that conversation with you that you just talked about. And it was around board development, not just the size of their board, but the engagement of their board. And, um, supporting them through, look, this, this will help it'll position you. Mm -hmm. And they did it and they did it really in under a year and they did it like they didn't just do it fast. They did it well. And because yeah. the board that I ended up going and coaching was a pretty well put together board, especially considering. So the answer was not no to them. The answer was not yet. And here's what it would take to get to. So I really appreciated that. And I, I wanted to highlight that. I don't, I still know that there are foundations out there who will just say no to a grant. They won't necessarily say why I've asked clients, you know, why, why didn't they fund? They didn't say really, mm -hmm. they didn't, they didn't give you any feedback and mm -hmm. no, not really. Um, they just said not in this cycle. And well, did you call them and ask them for some feedback? Well, we planning on, you know, it's like you get, find that feedback because it can help you and no, a no or a not yet is, um, is still valuable. Uh, mm -hmm. if you know the reason, because yeah. it, it can make you stronger. I'm not, you don't have to name them, although you can, who, who are some of the best nonprofits in Frederick County? What comes to mind in what, terms of what makes them great? What are the best nonprofits they're doing differently? 
That's a hard question to ask me. Um, I'm trying to think of ones that, you know, we have so many that do amazing things, um, really innovative things. Uh, I think ones that step up and, you know, one that's coming to my mind right now, you know, the YMCA during COVID, they pivoted to help other nonprofits. Um, you know, perfect example, there was, a, a, they, we needed to have a home. This is one of the things the foundation pulling people together. We needed, there was no place for children and families to go from the, like homeless shelter because there wasn't, but the, the YMCA was like, well, oh, that's a need. We have uh, we have a campground that we could put them in temporarily. So like, I feel like the YMCA where they say yes, they step up, they help others, they find the innovative programming. Um, it, I, I know you know the Literacy Council, they have done a fantastic job of just staying the court. Like they've done strategic planning and then live that plan to the T. Like, you know, then the next year it's board development, then it's fundraising, then it's like the slow machine of just keeping the course of, um, you know, building upon and the importance of literacy and building the partners for their, um, I could go on and on about well, that. Yeah, I will say this when you said slow machine, yeah, that is, that is life in the nonprofit sector. It's slow. It takes time. And, uh, it, I spent, you know, over 20 years in it, but that was the one thing that just always just Oh, move so slow. Uh, it's one of the things I, I like about doing what I'm doing now is I can move kind of as fast as I want in terms of the business and what I'm doing and all that. But, um, you know, it's been said, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. And with slow too, we have the one thing that's not hard, but the the nonprofits that constantly try to like add more programming, um, and, and, yeah. I think the ones that do a few things like extremely well, like extremely, extremely well are doing more successful, stronger impact than the ones that feel that they have to recreate the wheel and do so many programs mm-hmm. and they're all kind of watered down. Yeah. Yeah. And so the beauty is when we find the ones that do the things very well, partner with the others that do the things very well, and then they kind of have a co-program. Um, That's a really yeah. good tip. That's a really good tip for nonprofits. And I think um, foundations, like we love that. If some, if two found, if two nonprofits apply together or they send a letter in support of one another and they show that they are doing that, like I've always seen our trustees just be like, yes, that's, we want more of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you a question. Um, I heard a number of years ago, uh, a foundation president of a pretty big foundation in um, a small community, actually who said that their foundation and and a growing number of foundations, particularly large, pretty sophisticated foundations, don't want grant applications that depend so much on the funding. Yeah. He's, he, the way he put it was, we want applications, we want funding requests for things that are going to happen, whether we say yes or no. Mm-hmm. We'd rather see a funding request says, look, we're doing this and we've, we're starting it. And this is the process. We'd like to take it to X scale. We'd like for you to be a partner in that you would play this role. Um, but we, we want to know that us saying no, doesn't mean that the yeah. project just doesn't happen. And I, I know there's examples where it, you got to have the funding to do it, but would you, is that, 
Is that the mentality you think of the Osherman Foundation? Do you view it that way of we're looking for organizations that can demonstrate capacity, not organizations that don't have the capacity and need it? Or is it both? Uh, it's a, I think it's a little both. And, and um, you know, sometimes we'll have, you know, we have this multi-year grants program, which I was mentioning, and it's been a struggle because we've, you know, asked the organizations that receive the funding to go out and build that program and build a budget. And then they come to, but they kind of are, piggy, are pigeonholing themselves based on what they think our funding is going to be. And we're like, please just envision sky's the limit in this, this, this situation, because even if we're not going to fund everything, maybe we could bring a partner and you're limiting yourself by what is, could be possible by what you think we might give you. Mm. Um, and I know that's hard because then, um, you know, that's hard. You can brainstorm all day and then you don't get the funding from not, not only us, but others. So that's a hard question. Um, I can see both sides of that. Yeah. So you talked about, and even named a couple of the nonprofits that are doing great work. Um, what are some of the characteristics among the nonprofits that, that continually struggle? What are, what are some of the trends that you see the common challenges that nonprofits are either just not thinking about not getting right, um, or not able to, not able to climb that particular hurdle. What are some of the most common challenges you see in, in organizations trying to do good, but just not able to get there? I think that, um, you know, if you don't have a strong board or a strong leader, those that's like foundational. Um, cause that so many things come from that. Mm. Um, so that, I could span on both of those things, the board, the diversity of your board, the engagement of your board. Um, what else? Um, I mean, the, you, you could almost stop there, Lee. That's so true. That, that is the foundation. I mean, mm -hmm. if you don't have that, um, and I, and I've, I've done it. I try now to, to do, I'm trying to do a little bit about what you're doing, which is do a little discerning and discovery about, some of that before I engage with a client, because, you know, I, I call myself a coach, not a consultant. And mm -hmm. so the, the coachee has to do the heavy lifting. And if I'm going in and talking with the board, helping them build strategy and they're just only half of them show up and the ones that do show up don't have a clue because they haven't been paying attention. And, you know, three of them are on a zoom call, but they don't have their videos on. And you know, it's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't, that's set up for failure for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think you're absolutely right. Those boards that are engaged, that it's not hard to draw from them and get their thinking and that they're willing to step up and really think those, those tend to be, uh, they certainly are going to build a good plan. Um, and they're far more likely to execute on it. I, I think you've nailed it with, um, the leadership. I mean, it's all about leadership starts. Yeah. It starts there. Yeah. Um, is there a lot of, I don't know, I should, I, maybe I shouldn't ask this question. Do you see a lot of duplication of effort? Um, we see, we do, we see a lot of people in the same space and, and what we're, but, but what we're realizing is, you know, that I think sometimes there needs to be multiple mm. options. Yeah. Um, I think that there, especially is geographically, the, right? Like if it's, yeah. if it's site-based and it's focused on the neighborhood, you know, I've seen right. that. Um, I think if they're broadly serving um, and they're not collaborating with, so so I'm going to use the example in our community of three wonderful organizations that work with the um, immigrants and they work with each other um, 
a lot, but I think that there's opportunity and they would, or the first two, I'm not putting words in their, their mouth. I think they would also agree that they, there's ways that they could maybe work better with one another. So I think that, you know, just like there's multiple churches and there's, everyone has a different fit. Like I understand that perspective too, but sometimes I wish that there was more pulling of where can we, you're doing this program, we're going to do this program and, and, um, and coordinating. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of tongue in cheek a little bit. I, I've been asked many times, Hey, what advice do you have for someone who's starting up a nonprofit? Mm-hmm. My advice is don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I my first to... piece of advice. Don't do it. <laughs> don't start yeah. a nonprofit first. Find out why it is you want to start a nonprofit, what it is you're trying to address. And is there any way to, to advance that cause without starting another 501 C three. There are, in my opinion, there are too many of them because the community can only really adequately support a certain number of them effectively. And it does cause funding fatigue and it causes community, you know, just like it causes fragmentation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that that's my, my number one piece of advice is don't now, if I can say that and you can still get to why you do need to, then okay. But, but first stop and pause on, do I re- is this really the answer to accomplishing I what, I, what I want? We say the same thing all mm. the time. Uh, and especially when, when someone comes to us with an idea that they're, we always say, go look for who we, we give them, we like hand out, you know, here's who you should talk to. But sometimes, you know, it makes sense that it could be a program under an existing organization and I think that the important part is if there is, um, you know, a way that they could reach into a neighborhood or a group that is not currently being served by the larger nonprofit, and that is a real opportunity too to kind of create that trust and and reach into a new um, segment. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that, as a as an opportunity to share with listeners? of this episode, many of whom are, most of whom are nonprofit leaders. Any, any other perspective you think would be helpful for the sector in terms of things to keep in mind, um, in, in best serving your community and in getting the attention and the support of philanthropy. Yeah, you know, I think it's about relationships, really building relationships. Um, and when it comes, and we we've talked about this briefly, but sometimes we find these nonprofits who they have a cousin who's a graphic designer, website design. They build their website, or they're going to do their bookkeeping, and then something happens, and then they lose that person, and they lose the ability to have their website. And and so I think sometimes when you um, not shortchange yourself by going through those option those things that, that kind of set you back um maybe not do but i understand too it takes money to start these things yeah. so i totally get the catch-22 of both sides and like i said i've come from a, ba- a nonprofit background so i very much understand understand that part of it yeah i do too and that's a big dilemma and it, and mm-hmm. it is a gray area too lee i think because yeah. if you do something on the cheap mm-hmm and it's a and it's a good resource and it advances the ball for you to a place where you next time might not have to do it on the cheap you know that that's great i mean that's being and that's being resourceful yes. and leveraging what you have but and i'll give you this is some of the jinx perspective now coming out but if you do it on the cheap out of a philosophy 
Yes. This is what I was trying to say. You're right. I have a problem with that because yeah. now you just look cheap and um, you're this old idea of, well, we got to show the donor that we're not spending money on overhead and we're not spending money on ourselves. I've always thought the opposite. If you look at the, the, the biggest, most successful, most innovative nonprofits in the world, they've mm -hmm. branded themselves as well as any corporation. They've hired talent. Mm -hmm. They spend they spend money on what some would call overhead. I just call it, it's all capacity to me. There is no overhead. Overhead's a manufacturing term. Like I, to me, the word is capacity and organizations who understand if we invest in the capacity, it will lead to, it will create better performance. So that's, to me, that's the dividing line is why are you doing it on the cheap? Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. off, I think we kid ourselves and think we have to. Or yeah. I hear nonprofits say, well, we don't have the money mm -hmm. to which I say, oh, you have it. You've <laughs> just decided to spend it differently. Yeah. That's right. Hard. It's hard to, it is, to it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. We could just go in so many different directions. I want to, um, I want to get to a couple of questions Lee for you that I get actually ask all my guests. And, um, you know, this, this is a show about leadership. Now we get into talking about some of the functionality today. We learned about a family foundation and how one that's doing really cool things operates from a leadership perspective. Who do you, who comes to mind right away as someone who, as a leader that you would say has had a, a big influence on your own leadership, your own journey, your own point of view on leadership. Who comes to mind and why? Um, right away, why I don't know why my grandmother is coming to my mind, mm. um, and, and I think it's just that she was, you know, mom and and educated and working and and involved in her community, and I know it's a different type of leadership. Um, but I've had a lot of of opportunities to work with a lot of people throughout uh, my career, even indirectly or at the same team. And I, I think the leaders that I've watched uplift the people around them and want them to, you know, not be the smartest person in the room, but want them to exceed what's there, what is best for them is just, has just been very, um, yeah. Can I come, can I come back to your grandmother for a second? Yeah. What do you think it is though? Like when you think of her career and the fact that she was, she was in, you know, she was a leader and she did these things. What, what is the sort of that thing though, that is the inspiring part of all of that? What made her different as a leader? Do you think? I think just her like spitfire and just to mm -hmm. charge right through in um, a world that, you know, for her, back then not a lot of women were in. And so that has been. Wow. You know. <laughs> wow. What a great descriptor. Spitfire. I like yeah. that. <laughs> I like that. I mean, you got to get things done. Yeah. It's yeah. just uh, tenacious. I love it. Um, last question Lee for you today. Um, and again, a question that I ask all my guests, if you had a megaphone and an audience of all the leaders of the world, that are alive today and you could share with them your sort of 15 second sound bite of, Hey everybody, as you continue leading in your world, never forget this. Like this is what's your number one tenet of leadership. I would say be a good listener and actively listen. 
Mm. Actively listen. Someone, uh, I'm trying to remember the quote now, or I read it. I just loved it. You know, there's all this active listening training. They tell Mm -hmm. you, you know, what to do with your eyes, you know, make eye contact and, you know, use your body language, you know, don't do this and do that. Don't fold your arms, whatever. And the, and the, the quote was, um, the best way to act to the best way to learn active listening or the best advice for active listening is actively listen. (laughs) <laughs> like, just, you know, if you do that, if you actually are curious and want to understand and want to learn, you won't, all that stuff will take care of itself. You don't need to worry about, don't be thinking about your hands. To me, if I'm thinking about what I'm doing with my hands, I'm not actively listening. <laughs> yeah. Like if I'm thinking, am I making eye contact right now? Like, well, then I'm not actively listening. I'm thinking about whether or not I'm making eye contact. So I love that. Just pure and simple active listening. Um, Lee, thank you. And and I truly not, uh, not just for coming on the show. Definitely. Thank you for that and carving out time for it and, and being generous with our listeners. But, um, for all that you're doing, I I really do think it's powerful, um, for folks that may not understand or know the Frederick County nonprofit landscape and fabric, it's pretty unique. It's pretty special. I will tell you that summit that I went to, um, it's, it's for, it's for one County, it looked like a statewide sum. I mean, it looked like it was a big deal and you guys do it upright and, um, you, you, you bring quality stuff to the table. You're obviously doing everything you possibly can to, um, um, make the County better. So thank you. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for being here. I I'm really grateful for it. And I'm excited about future engagements with you and your, your community and what you're doing up there. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Folks, check out, um, uh, Lee, what's the website for Osherman? I should have had that written down on my notes here. OshermanFamilyFoundation.org. OshermanFamilyFoundation.org. And Osherman is A, so you spell it. <laughs> A-U-S-H-E-R-M-A-N. All right. I will have the link on the on the podcast page too. So if you're listening to this, just go back to that original page um, that it's on. If you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify or whatever, just go to our website at jinxperspective.com. J-I-N-K-S perspective.com. And if you haven't, uh, while you're there, check out our YouTube channel as well. We've got the podcast that airs every other week. And then the YouTube channel, those are usually about five minute episodes, just some coaching episodes on leading a nonprofit. Check out the Osherman Family Foundation and all that they're doing. And if you're listening and you are representing a foundation, definitely check them out. Get some ideas about what they're doing. They're doing things uniquely. And if you're a nonprofit listening to this, go back and listen to it again and take notes this time. Uh, because that section of uh, that Lee gave us on things that you can think about to get more support, more attention, and be more impactful. It's a powerful list. So thanks again, everyone. Lead on.